This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Hey, hi, hello, howdy, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. I almost forgot how to do this intro because he's been on like a two-month hiatus co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We're going to talk some uh, Last Dance takeaways and try and avoid it being a recap for episodes five and six that we saw on Sunday night and just try and get in a little bit deeper to a lot of the uh, takeaways and, and fun anecdotes from it. First, though, I would just like to remind you to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. You can also get us wherever else you are consuming your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, all those fun places. But we very much appreciate for all the algorithms and SEO stuff, ratings and reviews on the iTunes page. And of course, subscriptions. Make sure you're downloading all of our episodes. Please, please, pretty please, let's try and bury the uh, the one-star review that had to do with Kyrie Irving that I don't even think was necessarily commenting on on the podcast. You follow. You can follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Also follow us on YouTube, YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. Uh, remember, we have the historical player rankings series up, where we're ranking the top ten players from uh, every franchise over the past decade. And we have landing pages at NBA Math at YouTube, and again on iTunes. You can listen to all those. We are up to as of this recording, the Dallas Mavericks. The Pistons will be be dropping soon. Shout out, lastly, but not leastly, to our sponsors for this week, betonline.ag and Blue Chew. You will be hearing from them shortly, so be sure to plug in those promo codes. That's another great way to help support the podcast. With all the housekeeping notes out of the way, I ask for the first time in quite some time, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it has been a long time <laughs> apologies to you and uh, the listeners but as you just mentioned you and uh, adam have been up to great uh content producing in my absence with the top 10 player series has been fun to listen to um i uh i think it was maybe the day after the season shut down i sent out a mailbag tweet uh i have yet to answer any of those questions um so <laughs> why would you draw any attention to that <laughs> Apologies to those uh, people who asked questions. Maybe I'll go back in there one of these days, see if there's anything that's still uh, relevant and provide some 
answers on those. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a strange, bizarre time with no live sports. But thank goodness we've got the last dance to kind of keep us occupied here, right? The one thing I'm worried about is now that we're more than halfway through, like you're going to start having people sense the end. We only have four episodes, yeah. two more weeks left. They really probably should have made it like a 20-part documentary or something yeah. just to – just to keep it rolling. Speaking of questions, though, before we get into episodes five and six, we did have one question from the last pod. Again, if you want to ask any questions about what we think about the last dance or anything related to it, you can hit either of us up on Twitter um, or the Hardware Knox Twitter, DM us, whatever. We will answer them on the following pod. We only have one this week. It comes from Mark McClure, at Mark McClure 7 he, he asks, what do you – not sure if you could chat, though, any influence – Dennis Rodman has had on Draymond Green. Uh, I've phrased that question poorly. He wants to know if we think any, if Dennis Rodman, if any, had any influence on Draymond Green. I'll throw it to you. I think, I will say to start off, I do think they're probably two of the most versatile defenders in in history, but I I feel like their games are pretty, like there's a stark contrast between the way that they they play and, and their specialties, particularly on offense. Yeah, I don't know if influence would be the word that I would use uh, because I do think their games are drastically different. They they both, like you said, have the ability to guard a bunch of different positions. So maybe he was influenced by Rodman a bit in that regard. Um, but I think I, I think one of Draymond's biggest strengths is the playmaking and the fact that he was functionally the point guard in a lot of possessions um, for the dynasty warriors or at least what we what we used to consider a point guard um handling the ball making great reads surveying the floor that's something that dennis rodman never even came close um to draymond green on was was the playmaking and i think just the general offensive ability there was even that season i think it was 2015 16 um when they won 73 games and curry had the best offensive season ever draymond had like a near 60 true shooting percentage um and I kind of want to check myself just to be sure. I think he shot close to 40% from three. And it seems now in hindsight that that season was an outlier. Um, but he just, he had a more, much more well-rounded offensive game um, than Dennis Rodman is. And just to clarify, 14 points a game that season, 38.8% from three. And uh, let's see, 58.7 true shooting. Just a, a great offensive season for him. Now on the other side of the equation, Draymond isn't in the same universe as Rodman as a rebounder. Um, when you look at ba- uh, Dennis Rodman's basketball reference page and the rebounding numbers are just absurd, especially when you factor in how big he was. Um, they're, they're not dissimilar in size. So for Rodman to be able to get 17, 18 rebounds a game um, in an era that was dominated by guys like Patrick Ewing and Hakeem right. Olajuwon and all these other great, um, centers that we just think of as legends now. David Robinson's another one. For him to be the best rebounder in that era is just crazy. And it's been fun to watch little snippets of him in game action during this documentary because you see some of the um, you see some of the skill that went into rebounding for him because he was so much smaller. He obviously he he had a physical disadvantage against a lot of guys on the boards, but he was so good at reading angles, tipping the ball to himself. I loved that. I think it was in episode two that little part where he talks about just you know going to the gym and having friends just shoot the ball and he could see how the ball came off the rim 
Um, there was so much to rebounding with him. So I think they are drastically different players. I've, dra- I've dragged this question out for quite a bit. So it, it was a good one. Um, but welcome I do think back, they're Andy. different. What's that? Yeah. Said, welcome <laughs> back, Andy. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add there. There's the, uh, again, maybe similar defensive versatility. I think you could probably, but you know, I never, I, I won't say never, but I was so young when Dennis Rama was playing. So I, I don't even, I hesitate to say that, uh, Draymond Green was more versatile or, or perhaps a better team defender, but there's that, uh, you know, there's video of Dennis Rodman guarding Magic Johnson. So he was right up there as yeah. well. But like you said, what they did on offense was just, it was a lot different. Could you imagine Dennis Rodman doing some of the similar things on offense today? Maybe in terms of setting screens and going to the basket when the Warriors allowed Draymond Green, Draymond Green to do that. Uh, but other than that, I don't envision him as someone who would bring the ball up or, oh. or anything like would- that. You know, if he came up in this era, maybe potentially he has different coaching and different, um, you know, people that say, here, dribble the ball up and he works on those things. Um, but it is it, it's somewhat difficult to imagine. Attention, Hardwood Knox listeners with currently no NBA, NHL or MLB. You might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the nation's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. You mentioned that you were young when this has happened. I think we've had this conversation before, but I was born in 86. So the 98 team, um, really the 96, 97 team and the 97, 98 team, those are some of my first memories of like really being invested in NBA basketball. Is that around the same age for you? Uh, so I was born in 89 and I would probably say it was, it was like probably the season after this. Um, like I, the, the first season that I remember vividly being invested in is that lockout campaign where it was Nixon Spurs. It's amazing that you, uh, remained a steadfast fan of the NBA. If you came in right during the Jordan vacuum, well, I was still like, I was still, I just didn't understand it as well. Like before I became like this really like nuanced and invested fan, I would say, because I remember the 97, 98 Bulls team, but I wasn't old enough, nearly old enough to appreciate the finality of what was happening. And that was, I yeah, even said I, this after episodes one and two, just the openness yeah. with which everyone knew that this was the end and that the Bulls were shitting on, on Jerry Krause. So yeah. It, it's so bizarre. We talk about how we have so much more access to these players and teams now, and we do, but I really feel like we don't have the candor that was delivered back then. And you even just look at, you know, I don't even know if you've noticed some of the media scrums around Michael Jordan in this. They're so much smaller than they would be today. Mm-hmm. And so we've probably lost, with with the extra access, we've probably lost some of the, the candidness, which is weird to think about. But sort of speaking on that note, this has been, I wouldn't say it was a prevailing theme in episodes five and six, but throughout this documentary, the the coverage of Jerry Krause and these past two episodes, yeah. they didn't really focus on him too much, even though, as you mentioned before we hopped on, there was the um, the, the pot shot that Jordan threw at him uh, saying the smoking a cigar would stunt his growth. And then um, 
I, what I really took away from it is I can't remember if it was after it was after one of the titles. I, it was ninety two or ninety three. I think maybe it was the uh, ninety one title. I, I can't remember, but he they showed the clip of him talking about. Yeah, the players are great, the coaches are great, but it's the organization that wins championships, and I really believe that this is one of the best organizations in the world. And so, full disclosure, after you know the first two episodes, I was all about making jokes, and I'm not also about to sit here and um, defend Jerry Krause, and I didn't really know him. I understand what he had as sort of this scouting track record, but the way that they're covering him throughout this is getting wildly uncomfortable. And part of that is we don't have him here to provide a rebuke because he's... Uh, because he passed away. And, and so that clearly stinks. But just like sort of the the added jabs like that, you know, the Tony Kukoc storyline, that's definitely something we can discuss, uh, how Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen made his life hell in the 92, in, in the first time I faced him in the 92 Olympics, uh, just because they knew that he was Jerry Krause's guy. And yeah, like there's yeah. probably just this level of tact that Jerry Krause lacked throughout all this. Um publicly closing the door it seems on bringing back phil jackson and that michael jordan would have to deal with it after this year even though it's been reported that you know he was open to bringing everyone back at one point like yeah that's that's not a great look but i'm, I'm even just more focused on like the smaller parts like like you mentioned and i'm mentioning again the pot shot that jordan threw at him putting that in in the clip um we look at i think it was episode four or three where he's on the plane dancing after a conference finals win i think i called it a finals win during the podcast i recorded solo and then Scottie Pippen's like sit down Jerry sit down and then like I said this interview where you know maybe it was taken out of context maybe it's flat out wrong but to just throw it in there that he's talking about how organizations win championships without actually saying it's not the players but you've you've put it and portrayed it in a way where it makes you feel like that's what he's saying and in the moment too like I bet if I bet if you had heard that quote live you, that would have made complete sense um it sounds like something a general manager would say about a team that just won a championship but like you said the way that it's been phrased um is that he's sort of discounting what the players are doing and and he might not have meant it that way at the time um but yeah it's been it's been very very interesting to see how he's been covered and there there's you know like you said, he's not alive to provide any kind of a rebuttal, but they they could at least spend, I don't know, five minutes on some of the good things that he did. I mean, he he was the general manager for six championship teams, and yeah, it's easy, or not easy, uh, it's easier when you have Michael Jordan. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, he's the guy who drafted Pippen. Um, he drafts Tony Kukoc in the second round. He makes a couple of you know, savvy trades. They they actually did spend a little bit of time on the Bill Cartwright trade in one of those early episodes. So um, maybe I'm unfairly criticizing the filmmakers now, but I do feel like there could be a little bit more balance with with the story around him. Yeah, they did mention the scouting stuff for like maybe five minutes, but you know, and so I, I don't even know if that's a criticism. Uh, there was probably a lot of concessions that had to be made to get Jordan to to sign off on this, and I know there have been people yeah, who've talked about the journalistic integrity of this. And I actually think those are fair points to highlight. Uh, That being said, I've still really enjoyed the documentary. And if those were the confines within which they were working, I do think they've done a good enough job. And like I said, you know, Jerry Krause is certainly guilty to some extent here. Uh, The Kukoc stuff where I think it was in one of these episodes, they were talking about, he went um, to negotiate with Tony Kukoc while there were still negotiations going on with Scottie Pippen. And so to sort of prioritize Tony Kukoc over, 
someone who was probably like one of the three best players in the NBA at that point or something. That is sort of wild, but there it's. I think that's what makes it so uncomfortable is he wasn't here or there at the time they were recording this to really just provide his side of the story. I'm not trying to turn him into a sympathetic figure, but it is also interesting to me to see how even definitely Michael Jordan and then Scottie Pippen a little bit and Phil Jackson a little bit have still thrown Jerry Krause mm-hmm. under the bus in their present day interviews. And that's yep. what's been interesting because they know he's not here to respond. And so maybe you'd think that they would feel a little bit different. But the fact that they don't makes me think, wow, maybe he really was that bad. But again, it's, it's a little bit unsettling now just because I, it seems like they're really pushing it as a main thesis of this is Jerry yeah. Krause was the undoing of this Bulls dynasty. And I guess if this is the story ultimately of the 97-98 team and they just hate Jerry Krause, um, may, maybe the intention is to show that hatred for him um and in that sense i guess it it does kind of make sense but like you and i have both said at this point it might be nice to have a little bit of the other side um you also so i'm, I'm we're gonna probably jump around a lot during this episode i think that's just leap. kind of the nature i'll follow you but. let's leap <laughs> you mentioned in there the the pippin coach stuff which i thought was really fascinating um i can't remember if it was episode five or Six, but um, you know, Pippen is obviously really upset with the fact that Kraus is n- not only negotiating with Tony Kukoc. They said that Kraus called him the future of the organization. Right. Um, I think they took offense to that. And and one thing that I've learned in this documentary that I didn't know beforehand is everybody talks about the vindictiveness and the competitiveness of Michael Jordan. It seems like Scottie Pippen had it every bit as much as he did. Um, and maybe that's, you know, one of the factors that drives them to win six titles. It's on top of this Kukoc stuff that we just learned in these episodes. Um, he's got, you know, sitting out the beginning of the 97, 98 season, which they've already touched on the trade demand. Um, he, he had a very, very, uh, serious competitive streak in him too. And I just, I don't think it gets brought up nearly as much as Jordan's does. Yeah, I mean, that that's a good point as well. I'm sure that his contract situation didn't help. And again, I know he signed the seven-year, $18 million deal, uh, but that overarching like resentment, I think, definitely probably contributed. Because it almost feels like he has this competitive edge against his own organization, where you don't really hear about how yeah. he necessarily approached yeah. it towards opposing teams. Uh, you, you mentioned, so this is related to Kukoc, and so the, the 92 Dream Team stuff. Uh, there were a few things that stood out to me, and I think it begins with um, Isaiah Thomas. And so MJ had this yeah. to say. I immediately wrote this quote down when he said it. Uh, he said, I respect Isaiah Thomas's talent. To me, the best but point guard of all time is Magic Johnson, and right behind him is Isaiah Thomas. No matter how much I hate him, I respect his game. Two things. Yeah. One, I immediately thought, I don't know if you've ever done P90X, but I immediately thought of Tony Horton saying, <laughs> I hate it. Act- but I love it. That's what immediately <laughs> came to mind when when I heard this quote. Number two, uh, it seemed Jordan denies keeping him off the '92 Dream Team, even though he clearly asked. I think Rod Thorne, who was putting it together at the time, uh, whether he was going to be on it, and Rod Thorne was basically whoever you are asking about is not going to be on it. I I really don't feel sympathy for Isaiah Thomas, and I'm not trying to shit on him nope. because it seems like he had some beef with other players on this roster, definitely with, I think both Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody, I think it might be Wilbon talks about that too in the documentary. Yeah. So that doesn't make me feel bad. I also don't look at 
the players on the roster and say, you know what, you should have taken John Stockton off for Isaiah Thomas. You should have taken uh, Clyde Drexler off for Isaiah Thomas. Now, if you came to me and said you wanted to take, if you didn't really care about positions, and you want to take Christian Leitner off for Isaiah Thomas, that to me makes sense. I don't know if they needed to have a college player or something because he was coming to the NBA at that point, was he not? That was right before his first season in the league. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. I I was two years old at the time, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, (laughs) But... Or if you wanted to take, I'm looking at the roster right now. Yeah, Chris Mullen off and put Isaiah Thomas in. Like I totally understand that. But if his relationship with these, with many of these players, many of them, is the reason that he didn't make the team, I honestly don't feel bad because it's you. You were trying. The whole point of assembling this superstar roster was to make sure that the United States made this statement globally. And if having Isaiah Thomas might have risked risked the chemistry at all just because he was again had it wasn't just problems with some of the players it was the, the probably would you say the three best players on the roster Johnson Bird and Jordan yeah so, yeah like that I, I honestly don't feel sympathy is he maybe underrated historically I would listen to a case for that and he yeah. was definitely exceptional it does feel like his titles sort of do get lost to historical anecdotes sometimes and then because of what Detroit's identity was I don't think people necessarily appreciate how good he was offensively on the court but I I really Isaiah Thomas doesn't come off looking like throughout this whole story he doesn't come off looking like a sympathetic figure to me personally no and I don't I don't think they're trying to make him look sympathetic I agree with you wholeheartedly um and except for I actually think there's a case that he's overrated um oh boy and and Let's say that for a different <laughs> podcast. Yeah. There's often an implication that um, because they're both point guards that Isaiah Thomas should have been on the team over John Stockton. But statistically, he he honestly was not close to Stockton for the three seasons immediately preceding the um, Olympics. I mean, it's 17 points, 14 assists, uh, three steals per 75 possessions for Stockton with a plus seven uh, relative true shooting percentage. Compared to 19 and 9 um, and two steals for Thomas with a minus three relative true shooting percentage, um, there, there's a fairly significant gap statistically between them. Now, of course, um, Isaiah Thomas wins titles in 89 and 90. And like you said, those have kind of gotten lost to history. And you get the sense from a lot of these Pistons guys that they're bitter about that. And they probably should be. Um, there, there aren't a ton of people um, – who've repeated as NBA champions. So they probably have a little bit of a right to be, but they're, they're just sort of sandwiched in, in sort of a basketball history, no man's land. Um, it's, it's as the Celtics and Lakers, you know, eighties dynasties are waning and it's before Michael Jordan, um, really takes over the league and, and their biggest, um, (laughs) their biggest claim to NBA history might be they, that they refine Jordan more than their titles. Even I, I think they're more known for that as being like the the last hurdle that Jordan got over um, than they are for winning the championships. So maybe they have a right to be bitter, um, but but as as far as Isaiah Thomas goes and in the bitterness of being locked up the 1992 team, I'm with you. I don't I don't think there's a real strong argument that he should have been on there even from a basketball sense. Yeah, there's like I, I think there were only three players that you could begin to talk about. Maybe he should have been in over and. I don't know how it works out with positions, though. When you're looking at point guards specifically, no, you shouldn't be on there over definitely not Magic Johnson. I probably wouldn't have taken him over John Stockton either. If you were looking at a Clyde Drexler, a Christian Leitner, a Chris Mullen, 
then maybe. But I don't know how they yeah. were, what they were looking well, at. Even, look at Drexler's numbers in those years, like I would say right they before. Were, yeah, he always too, seemed like someone that might have coasted a little too much on athleticism. But if nothing else, Isaiah Thomas was just such a good passer compared to Drexler. I could, I, I think there's a case there. If you're talking about, I like Mullen, Leitner, and Drexler, the only three players that I could imagine having an argument that he should have made this roster over. Not that this is, I mean, this isn't, um, this doesn't determine the issue, but Isaiah Thomas was 35th in box plus minus over the three seasons right before the uh, Olympics. And and again, that's not, that's just one number. But Chris Mullen was 16th. Um, Patrick Ewing was 14th. Mark Price, 10th. Um, who, who's, I mean, Christian Leitner is not going to be on here because he wasn't in the NBA yet. That's, I think you've hit on the obvious one. I thought, there. Were, you, were you just throwing Mark Price in there for fun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at uh, American players who are ahead of him. Horse Grant, Kevin McHale. Um, anyway, I, will, I, I don't... Oh, go ahead. I'm with you. I don't think he's a sympathetic figure. I will say, I wish that we could have... I don't know how you could have seen more, but I loved the stuff about that scrimmage they had where everyone was... Mad at yeah. each other. It was like Jordan versus Magic. I would have loved to have seen the full footage of that or hear the trash talking that was going on. And it was so, it was such a flex when they were talking about their favorite moments from that '92 Dream Team was playing each other. It wasn't competing yeah. against other teams. It was playing each <laughs> other. Those those practices. I think Magic even said in this one of these episodes that um, that was some of the best basketball that's ever been played. Um, was those guys. And when you look back on that roster, it really is, uh, with the exception of, I guess, Leitner. Other than that, it's all like Hall of Fame, all-time great, legendary players. It was an incredible collection of talent. Guys, are you looking to last longer than the value of a New York Knicks first-round draft pick? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first-ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue com promo code BLUEWIRE. I do like how at the end, because, you know, there, there seemed to be this disdain from Scotty and Jordan towards Kukoc. They did seem to respect him by the end of the Olympics, and then it's known that you know, he kind of took their shit once he came over to the U.S. And then he and Scotty became like really close while they were still on the Bulls. And, you know, Tony Kukoc was really good. I don't know that he ever reached, Very you, know, good. you know, when you come over when you're tw- age 25 season, uh, that's certainly going to cut down your prime. He still played, I think it was like 12 years in the NBA. But I don't know that we ever got to see peak Tony Kukoc. One, because of how old he was when he came over. But two, he was never really given the runway to just like, I think he probably could have shouldered more volume. Uh, you know, he peaks in the 98-99 yeah, season when he's not with Scotty or Jordan, and he averages almost 19 points a game, 5.3 assists. Um, not the not the highest true shooting percentage, but he hit 45% of his twos, got to the line at, you know, 
a lower clip. Uh, just a, a really smart player. And he's someone that I wish we could see. He would definitely be a, a four or maybe a five in this year's NBA, uh, this current NBA, I think. But I, I, I do believe that he would be really good in today's game. And I also believe there are a ton of players from recent history, let's say, that I'd love to see in the current league. And he's definitely among the, the top ones for me. Yeah, he was he was definitely a guy that was a little bit ahead of his time, sort of a point forward. Um, in in a lot of ways, similar to Scotty in terms of the the passing, um, more of an outside shooter. Like you said, his numbers drop off when he takes over the team, at least um, percentage wise in nineteen ninety eight ninety nine. But you did get a glimpse of of his ability to carry a team. It was a terrible Bulls team. That was always going to happen when Jordan and Pippen left. Um, but you're right. He was he was really fascinating. I've had a chance to write about him a couple times here during the hiatus because Bleacher Reports had me doing a lot of um, historical stuff, and and one of the ones they had me do was the best trios of all time. And I wound up going with Jordan Pippen and Kukoc, and a lot of people were understandably upset about that. They thought it should have been Jordan Pippen and Rodman, um, and I even think there's there might be a better argument for Jordan Pippen and Horace Grant over um, Rodman. But I went with Kukoc because of, you know, the methodology that I used. He actually had the best numbers of any other number three that Jordan and Pippen played with. Um, Just a really solid number three. (laughs) Uh, Passed the ball, rebounded, did a little bit of everything, shot threes. Um, Really solid player. And I still am kind of waiting for a little bit more time given to Tony Kukoc. I think this was our first real exposure to him, but this is this is a look at him as a member of the Croatian national team. I want some I want a little bit of detail about what he was like with the Bulls. Uh did you have I can't remember who it was who had uh Steve Kerr on their podcast recently. It was either Zach Lowe or Bill Simmons, but he said that he's kind of embarrassed that he's on all the promo posters. Oh yeah, um, it was the low post, yep. Yeah, and Tony Kukoc isn't. Um and he just raved about what a great player Tony Kukoc was. So hopefully, I mean, we've still got four more episodes to get into it. And the, and it seems like their format is basically let's spend 10 minutes on this and then 10 minutes on this. So hopefully, eventually, he'll get his, you know, 10 minutes. This is what Tony Kukoc was on these, you know, second three-peat bowls. I'm assuming we'll get there. But I guess you really never know yeah. what direction this documentary is going to take. The thing that I was kind of surprised at, and I don't know if this was – maybe they never planned to do it or maybe they had planned to do more on it, but then uh, Kobe – died in that helicopter crash i thought if they were going to spend time on the the jordan kobe relationship that they would have spent more time on it they were i thought there were a few good quotes the episode five opens with uh they're at the 98 all-star game and mj's saying to um the locker room that he's in that little laker boy is gonna take everybody (laughs) one-on-one he doesn't let the game come to him he just goes out and take it uh yeah that was like That hit me. That was great. And then Kobe saying, um, I wrote this one down as well, he's like my big brother. I truly hate having discussions about who would win one-on-one. What you get from me is from him. I don't get five championships without him. And I like that he phrased it that way because there's not a Kobe-MJ debate. If you want to talk about Kobe being the closest facsimile to Michael Jordan that we've seen, I'll listen to it just because the moves were so similar. Uh, You look at the Mm -hmm. mentality on the court with their approach to winning. I, I totally get that, but there, you know, one person makes an account to continuously spam you messages about how Kobe was better than 
Michael Jordan or how his peak was better than Michael Jordan's. And it wasn't. And I think the fact that there are people that maybe still want to have that debate or talk about it, and I do think they're they're diminishing in number, it takes away from what that relationship apparently was. Like, we don't hear enough about that. We saw uh, Jordan talking at Kobe's memorial, and that was sort of a great peek behind the curtain. Uh, but it would be cooler to spend more time on with this documentary, spend a little bit of time on, was just the relationship, how Jordan had told him, if you need anything or have any questions, just, yeah. just reach out to me, and how they sort of forged that relationship, because that's the actual cool part about their link to me. And, of course, how yeah. similar they're in aesthetics their their games were. And I hate that there's still even a slight debate because there really shouldn't be about whether Kobe is on Michael Jordan's level. He was, you know, you ranked him. He's one of the all-time greatest players, Kobe Bryant, but Michael Jordan is just just better. And that's not I'm not trying to spin some sort of agenda here. I just I'm more appreciating the the little time that this documentary spent on their relationship beyond that. And I, I wish we could have seen more. Aesthetics is the exact word that I used in the takeaways article um, that I wrote for Bleacher Report on this uh, episode. Statistically, it's honestly not all that close um, between Jordan and Kobe, but I love that YouTube clip, and I think I hyperlinked to it um, in the write-up where it just shows back-to-back Jordan moves and Kobe moves. Like he, like like Jordan, like Kobe himself said. You already gave the quote. What you got from me is from him. Um, he clearly patterned his game after him, and I don't think, even if the numbers aren't there, I don't. I don't know if we'll ever see somebody who just looks um, like Jordan the way that he plays, uh, like Kobe did. So, so yeah, I think aesthetics is the perfect word for that. And, and believe it or not, I threw that in the takeaways too. Um, he, he's the closest thing, and it's it's almost like he's the uh, he's the aesthetically, I'm going to say that word one more time, the successor to Jordan, because he's, he's, he's not quite there statistically, but like you said, the, the way they put it was awesome. How it was a brotherly relationship. Um, you know, how Jordan was, was kind of talking crap about him to the other Eastern conference all-stars. But then Kobe said after the, after the game, he came up to me and said, you know, anytime you need anything, let me know. Um, I think he probably saw a little bit of himself. And Kobe Bryant, and then thought, you know, I can impart my wisdom uh, to this kid, and it sounds like he did. So that I think that stuff of, of or that part of the documentary was cool. Like you and I said before we started recording, it would have been nice to maybe get a little bit more of that. Um, but maybe they just maybe they didn't have a chance, like you said before we were recording, to talk to Kobe enough. Um, but that that was that was a really interesting window into that dynamic and that rela- relationship. Yeah, and the other thing about Kobe is that it seems like because you don't really you don't really hear about how people pattern their games after Jordan aside from Kobe. I feel like, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about in that uh, era, and a lot of that just has to do with the access you had to Kobe during his prime. Just because media was a different beast then, he wasn't at the height of social media, but I feel like you know YouTube clips; uh, those are just those were prevalent. Um, for players who are even coming into the NBA now, you talk about you know guys who like Demar Derozan love him or Russell Westbrook love him. There's still Trey Young is in love with Kobe Bryant, and so I think just the way that his brand took on a different sort of life because of the time that he hit his prime on the basketball court, I think that contributes to some of what I'll call diluted takes about where he actually belongs in the pantheon of of NBA history. One of the most, and I'm talking just about basketball here, one of the most iconic players 
on the court. But I, if Michael Jordan had the type of, I'm going to say exposure or accessibility that Kobe did to the masses, because it does seem like Jordan was a pretty accessible superstar. When you're talking about reporters, yeah. he fielded questions about his future routinely, particularly during that 97, 98 season. But the, I don't even, I guess the momentum behind it that Kobe not that he, I don't want to say enjoyed, like he didn't earn it, but just different times. And so maybe there would be that uh, similar talk about Jordan if there, you know, he was he came up during the or was at any point in his prime during the YouTube era. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm with all that. So uh, totally agree. I, what what are some other takeaways that we had on this particular episode? I've got a I've got a little handy list here. If you just want to run through them. Yeah, if you want to talk about the um, that we discussed before the pod, I, I think it's about how Jordan would be in today's game. And we you pointed to the the game against Clyde Drexler, where he just decided that he was mm-hmm. going to make every three in the world. Yeah, that was really interesting to me because you've got Marv Albert or a clip of Marv Albert right before game one saying that they statistically mirrored each other in the regular season. And my first thought was, no way. Um, you know, Jordan in the early 90s was ridiculous and he was but i looked up the numbers and they're closer than i thought they would be um it's it's still clearly jordan as the better player he led the league in box plus minus that season at 9.7 and he averaged 30 points uh six rebounds six assists two steals and a block it's just crazy numbers but drexler was third in the nba in box plus minus at 8.7 and he averaged 25 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and a block. I mean, he he had a phenomenal season too. But Jordan had a quote in the doc. He said, Clyde was a threat, uh, but me being compared to him, I took offense to that. Um, and it's it sounds like there was a, a, a lot of people comparing the two heading into that series. And Magic Johnson says in the doc that Jordan told him before the series that he was just going to go out and take it to this guy. And that's exactly what he did. I think he had 30-some points in that first half on top of the the threes that he hit. Um, this is the famous shrug game that I, I think just about every NBA fan has seen that image um, at some point of Jordan shrugging after he hits, I think, the fifth three in the first half. Um, this is a fascinating look at, like you said, what he could potentially be if he had come up in today's game. Like He obviously would have added a three-point shot. Um, it already seems like he was a good. We don't have numbers for this. It already seems like he was a good set three point shooter, just off the catch. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- there's just no doubt in my mind that he would have added that. But it's also a look at just how he would sort of, um, if they weren't already manufactured, and I think this one was sort of manufactured by out for, outside forces, it seems like Jordan had a knack for manufacturing things to be mad about and things to compete against. Um, and to try and sort of take himself to another level. And, and again, in this case, the the matchup was sort of manufactured by outside forces, and he just went out and destroyed Clyde Drexler in that series. Yeah, that's uh, – Jordan, I would love to have seen him play today. I don't know that there – I've seen the stuff on Twitter where it's like basically the SpongeBob meme where people are making fun of other people who are saying Jordan couldn't have thrived in this era. I actually think it's probably the other way around is that I see more of today's stars wouldn't be as good. And like, I don't I don't see anyone saying that Michael Jordan wouldn't have been great. In today's yeah. NBA. I, I just would have loved to have seen it. The, yeah, I, I think he'd be phenomenal. Uh, what I also enjoyed from this is they delve into the – the shoe stuff, as you mentioned, how Jordan uh, wanted to sign with Adidas or thought Adidas was cooler yeah. than Nike. 
And the only reason he basically went to Nike was because his mom and dad forced him to, or at least reasoned with him. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff was fascinating too. And I think the biggest takeaway for me on that was um, his agent at the time, David Falk, (laughs) said that New York, or not New York, Nike, had a goal to sell $3 million worth of Jordans through the four-year contract or through at the end of year four, however long the contract was, I can't remember. But after four years, the goal was 3 million in year one, they moved $126 million worth of air Jordans. Um, you know, I don't even, I don't even know. Yeah. (laughs) By what percentage that defeats the goal, but it's just, it's crazy. He was a cultural phenomenon and in that section they have got they have celebrities like Nas and Justin Timberlake and Spike Lee talking about how you know basketball shoes were just basketball shoes before Jordan came along now they're like a cultural symbol to this day I mean people who were even born after Jordan collect Michael Jordan's uh, people who were born after his career ended I should say um, <laughs> his shoe has become a a cultural staple in America it's it's just remarkable what he accomplished as a uh not just as a basketball player but like as as a marketing um i don't know i don't know if tool is the right word uh it's just he he's just sold merchandise in a way that i don't i don't know if anybody else ever has no i would totally agree with you there and him wearing the the air jordan ones in his last madison square garden game yeah and then that was funny then afterwards uh, afterwards, he's like, by halftime, my feet are bleeding, but I'm having a good game. Yeah. I don't want to take them off. <laughs> I couldn't take yeah. those shoes. But and then the game's over, and he says, I couldn't take the shoes off fast enough. When I took the shoes off, my sock was soaked in blood. Ugh. I don't. Under- side note: I don't understand how people played in some of the shoes they did in earlier eras, especially a guy like Michael Jordan. Like he was flying all over the place in those first couple years, and he was playing in those. <laughs> Jordan ones. My dad played um, in college in the seventies, and that's back when they still wore cons. And to wow. this day, his feet like mangled. I don't. I don't how about understand that Converse how... commercial? I always forget. You had Larry Bird and Magic Johnson dropping bars. That was hilarious. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a good clip. I should have wrote down, uh, written down um, Larry Bird's line at the end of that. Something about how they made me the MVP or something like that. And then that Magic Johnson's like staring him right in the face. That's the other thing. You don't really see those commercials anymore where the stars are together. Like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird no. just being in the same commercial. Or there's that. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen Ken Griffey Jr. and Don Mattingly, that baseball commercial. The I Got It, where Ken Griffey Jr. basically robs Don Mattingly of a home run by running across the country to catch it. Like you never <laughs> really see anything like that anymore. I think because everyone's probably more brand focused where, you know, if you're Don Mattingly's people, it's yeah. like, well, we don't want it to look like Ken Griffey Jr. is, is better than Don Mattingly here. That but, is, that is interesting that those are just kind of gone. I never really thought about that until now. I can't, like, is the last one like the street ball um, where players are like dribbling the ball to the, to the beat of a song and putting the ball in their shirt and stuff. That's the last one I can remember where there was a bunch of, NBA players in the same commercial. Yeah, even the dual ones. Wasn't there? Was it a? Was it the Kevin Durant, D- Dwayne Wade one where they're like functionally sleeping? I guess, and so it's like they oh, yeah, didn't actually yeah, get yeah. dunked on by the other that. one. But that's not a bunch of people. Like, and aside from it's yeah. mostly, uh, you know, the remember the NBA Christmas Day one where they were dribbling to the beat or shooting to the beat of the, the Christmas song. It's like going yeah. to be pleasant stuff like that. So 
look at look at us, old men yelling at clouds here right now, lamenting <laughs> lamenting a better commercial error. There were two other points uh, that we wanted to discuss. The uh, first of which, for some reason, I'm blanking on right now. Oh, the gambling. They touched on the gambling issue. I wonder had he gone to Atlantic City in today's NBA right before uh, it was Game Two against the Knicks. I think it was the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Unless I'm mistaken. Um, would that have been? It definitely would have been more covered. Would it have been as big of a deal? Because it was, was, it was made out to be this huge deal, but I feel like everyone just knows that certain NBA players are party goers at this point, and so someone going to Atlantic City, um, maybe let's not even say the Atlantic City of today because it's uh, a dumpster fire, I would call it basically. But someone going to Atlantic City wouldn't, or something like that, just wouldn't be a huge deal to me. I don't think it would be a huge deal either. I think everybody would just kind of be like, oh, okay. Um, and doesn't Jordan <laughs> say in the documentary that he didn't he get back like to the hotel by like night or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. Phil, Phil Jackson didn't back. care. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, it was interesting to, like, to me, the idea of a $1.2 million debt to a golfing buddy that you're, you know, betting on holes with. That sounds insane. Um, and that's what I can't remember the guy's name. Dude, Richard. That's like more than a tenth of Scotty Pippen's seven-year eighteen million yeah. contract. Yeah. Um, gosh, where is he? I wrote his name down somewhere, I think, but I I can't find it now. What do you um, think about the the thought that when people say that Michael Jordan didn't have a gambling problem, it wasn't a financial problem for him because he just had the disposable income. That's what, whereas gambling might actually be a problem for him. And I'm not sitting here trying to diagnose anyone i want to make that clear i'll never do that my whole thing is you just hear these stories about not him just playing cards on the planes for huge amounts of money but he would join like the one dollar card games and just be like super competitive in them which i kind of respect but it's also like maybe maybe there was something to that notion he he basically said that they played um an interview with him and i think it was connie chung you know, back at the time where she asks him straight up, do you have a gambling problem? And he goes, no, because I can stop gambling. I have a competition problem. I have a competitive problem. Um, and it, it obviously wasn't a problem for him on the floor because it led to six titles. But like you said, maybe it did get him in a little bit of trouble here and there. But, um, David Aldridge was another guy who talked about this. And he said to, to Jordan, a $10,000 bet is like a $10 bet to you and me. Right. Um, so I think the way the documentary and I don't know if they'll get back into this later, but it was almost like their the point they were trying to make was, no, it wasn't a problem <laughs> because he had the money. He never got to a point where, you know, um, sharks were like threatening to break his leg or anything like that. He, he was fine. Um, he paid off his gambling debts. It was just more of his insatiable hunger to win at everything. This is in, in one of these episodes, it has him playing that game with the quarters with the security guy. Yeah. <laughs> United Center. Like it looks like they're playing some kind of game where you just toss a quarter from one end of the room to the other and you try to see how close you can get to the wall without hitting it. Is that what that's, it was? I because I was trying to figure it out and that's the best answer I could come up with, but I couldn't like the footage yeah. was a little grainy. But if that's I'm what they were doing, that's just absolutely crazy. So yeah, they're they're some game they probably just made up on the spot one day, and then they you know it becomes a, a deal with him and the security guards. But he's betting money on that, um, and so maybe maybe <laughs> he just wins so much he's got to raise the stakes a little bit by by throwing a little bit of money at it. Um, and and in that same story that you alluded to, 
where he goes to the the one dollar card game at the front of the plane. John Paxson asks him, "Why do you why do you want to play in this game? We're just doing a dollar a hand." And he says, "Because I want your money in my pocket." Um, <laughs> they're they're just a competitive streak in him that's um, almost unhealthy. I don't know if anybody will ever top it. No, I don't. Um, and I, I think he came out and said that people were going to hate him more after this documentary, unless there's some like really fucking crazy stuff in the final four episodes this has made me like michael jordan more for the most part yeah just running through it and the other thing that i can appreciate and maybe is probably why i don't know how he would handle this uh 24 7 365 you have to be on at all times era was at the end where you could tell that he's clearly tired of fame and he even says um when he's talking about possibly not come like possibly leaving the bulls after the 98 season which he does granted we now can listen to this knowing in hindsight that he played for the wizards for two seasons but he says mm-hmm. i hear a lot of people say well you're gonna miss it and he said i'm not sure if i'm gonna miss it i don't think i'm, I'm gonna miss it and you could just tell he even said that being like mike is is really hard and that was a, the last thing for me i don't know what other notes you have written down that i just found fascinating was even at that time where I would say that he could probably be a little bit more closed off than the stars of today. Like, yeah, maybe he's this stronger brand than any of them were. You, you talk about the mobs outside the hotel rooms, and maybe people aren't as likely to do that now because they feel like they have more access via, via the internet or something. And I don't know how accessible stars are now in terms of these live autographs. It seems like a lot of them are done in scores, and then they get sent out. But to be so fatigued from all of that attention, from actually being Michael Jordan, it made me appreciate, and as someone who thinks he already appreciates this, but made me appreciate more of the burden that today's biggest names really carry because now they're dealing with the social media scrutiny. And I don't want to say that Michael Jordan was inoculated from negative coverage because that's certainly not the case. The Jordan rules was touched upon in, in these episodes as we just talked about the gambling stuff. But to have to deal with the constant voices of people who in essence don't matter like let's say like you and me who aren't on the ground on a day-to-day basis and there are people who are going to be less legitimate than you and i you know just these fans that maybe just aren't fans of the player said team so they're going to chime in with this criticism on social media you have the jokes that get fired uh off on on social media the captions to the pictures which i actually think are funny but being the subject of them would you feel any different and so it really made me appreciate what players have to go through today more, but it was also just something clearly I never realized at the time for Michael Jordan is how tired he was of being Michael Jordan and then how open, uh, at least in, in some instances he was about that. Yeah. And it, it led him to do something that we haven't seen since. Um, maybe, maybe I'm missing someone, but just to take a year off and try another sport. Um, he, he clearly was fatigued with the whole, um, everything that comes with being Michael Jordan. And I thought they did a good job of showing that in these episodes. The only other thing that I had, and I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this, is um, just that, that final series with the Phoenix Suns. I remember, maybe this is just because of the time that <clears throat> I grew up, but I remember Charles Barkley as a Phoenix Sun. And I think he only played like four seasons there. Um, but he did win the MVP that season, and he had a phenomenal finals uh, against the Chicago Bulls, and and they lost. They they won a couple games. They lost the series in six. Um, 
But I one, one thought that I had while watching that, and this is you know not new, but there were just so many phenomenal, phenomenal players like Charles Barkley, who just um, <laughs> they just didn't have a shot at a title because they came up in the same time that Michael Jordan did their, their only chance was those was, was the year that he took off to play baseball and the year after that, when the Houston Rockets won both of them. Um, you, you basically had a two year window if you were one of those nineties legends, because other than that, uh, it was just going to be Jordan. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's insane to think about as well. This, uh, I was talking to you before the podcast about how like this sort of, made me appreciate a little bit more too how just good Charles Barkley was because you talk about he I feel like people forget yeah he didn't win a championship but he was an MVP and it was someone that Jordan wanted to make a statement against as well and it also seems semi related to 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 what you said and to this in general how the conversation was at one point uh that Michael Jordan <clears throat> excuse me couldn't win championships like he was just scoring points that was more like mm-hmm. episode 4 stuff I know but the, I couldn't even imagine talking about Michael Jordan in those terms yeah, that he's, you know, he's a he's a me first guy. Um, he's never going to be on bird and magic's level. And and we still do that stuff with players today. There's um, Chris Paul's definitely I don't know if it happened with that. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't know if it's ever going to be more prevalent um, in any other sports than it is in basketball. But we just we look at guys as non winners until they win a championship. Um, it's a really interesting phenomenon. Is it basketball? I was gonna say, is it probably because that basketball is perhaps the one sport where team sport where a singular player is supposed to make that type of difference? And I don't necessarily agree that that's the case anymore because there's so much talent in the league. But I feel like that's maybe where that phenomenon draws from. Yeah, and I think I even do it subconsciously. Like I can sit here and criticize that mentality, but I was you know watching the 2019-20 season play out and the Milwaukee Bucks are putting up you know historical team stats for a while they had the biggest point differential in league history um their SRS is probably still like top 10 all time they've got Giannis Antetokounmpo who's putting up numbers that are like legitimately unprecedented and yet in the back of my mind I'm thinking I I kind of like the Lakers or the Clippers to win the title because they've done it before. LeBron's done it before and Kawhi's right. done it before. Um, so I, I think you hit on something there though. They're in basketball more than any other team sport, major team sport, you know, uh, you know, football, baseball, hockey may be this way too, but I don't know hockey that well, but one individual player um, can change a lot. It, it's not as prevalent in the NBA as it is in like high school or college. If you get one good high school player in Wyoming, uh, you've got a chance to win the the state title just because there's only five guys at five guys out there, um, so it really is. It to me, it's a really interesting dynamic uh, that basketball brings and and that be, that comes along with basketball analysis. Real quick, is there anything you're hoping still to see that the documentary is yet to cover? I'm really hoping they get into the nitty gritty of his baseball decision. I think they will too because I I think they foreshadowed that at the end of. Uh, episode six, they don't actually say that he he's about to go play baseball, but they talk, you brought it up. They talk about the fatigue and he's just kind of tired of all the fame and fortune or, you know, fame and attention that comes with being Michael Jordan. So I bet that's coming. Um, and I, I can't remember now if you said this before we started recording or after, but I, I just would like to see a little bit more detail on the actual team that this was 
advertised to be about. Right. Um, the 97, 98 team. And, and again, they've got four more episodes. So there's, I think, you know, still decent amount of time to get on, into all the stuff that we want. But um, some of the snippets that they've given us in the first six episodes are really interesting. Um, you and I talked about this, I think, right after the first couple episodes. There's a lot more nitty gritty to this team that I just don't remember. And it's because we were, again, we were pretty young at the time. Like, I didn't care about the drama of the 97, 98 Bulls the way I would care about the drama of the team now. Um, so I don't, I had no recollection of the Scottie Pippen stuff or the Jerry Krause stuff. Um, and so I, I think there's probably more to get into there. And that's, that's the season that they have this documentary crew following around. So you'd think there's tons of footage. Um, so hopefully we get a little bit more of that. And I'm assuming there's going to be more of Steve Kerr. I'm not lamenting if there's not, but if they were going to use him as part of the promo, I know he just has a recognizable yeah. face because of what he's done as the Warriors coach as well. I'm just assuming yeah. there's going to be more on him. And if there's not, then yes, uh, they probably definitely should have used someone else as a face for, for the promotion. But I yeah. do think, as we mentioned already, relative to the restrictions with which they're working with, where Michael Jordan probably had a sign-off on everything, I really have enjoyed this. And Same here. Especially because there's there's nothing else to watch. There's no live sports. You know, The NFL draft <laughs> is over. The WNBA draft is over. We don't know when the NBA draft is going to be because they're trying to finish, see if they can finish their season. So I've definitely appreciated this documentary. Maybe I'd be a little bit more critical of it if it was, you know, came out during a normal time where there wasn't a global pandemic going on and there were alternatives. Uh, but also, like we said, I do, I do think it's fair to question the, the journalistic integrity of some of this and specifically the coverage of, of Jerry Krause. But all in all, this has been highly enjoyable for me. And as someone who enjoys memes and these weird sound bites, it's been great. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I had to grade the six episodes I've seen so far, I I would definitely give it an A. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've seen so far, and it'll be really interesting to see how it resolves. Like it's kind of crazy we're already halfway through it. Yeah, and it's it's probably easier for people like us to enjoy it without you know maybe this hint of cynicism because we so much of this stuff is I don't want to say it's like we knew about it, but like we're kind of understanding how ridiculous it was just because we weren't maybe fully old enough to appreciate it then. I know you said these were like the first 97 and 98 were like the first, or 96, 97, whatever it was, were the first two seasons that you really sort of zoned in. But to just be older and be an actual adult rather than, you know, a preteen or someone who wasn't even yeah. eight years old or something at this point um, is, I think it's easier for, at least for me, so I'll only speak for myself, it's easier for me to just appreciate it and enjoy it because it's it's so fascinating and there's just this level of comprehension about this Bulls team, about Jordan, about his teammates that I clearly didn't have before. Yeah, I'm with you uh, 100%. And uh, I just realized I'm the one who closes. That's how long wow. I've been away. Wow. Um, <laughs> as always, um, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Like Dan said, there's a there's been a cool ongoing series with him and Adam ranking the top ten players for each franchise over the uh, last decade. Those have been fun to listen to. So if you haven't been catching those, make sure you are, and tell friends and family uh, to catch those as well. We'll try to be a little bit more regular. I'll try to be a little bit more, reg- more regular. I shouldn't throw Dan into that. He's been great. Um, until next time. We leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udry, Kyle Anderson, and let me think here, uh, Tony Kukoc.
Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials. One device included.